The following is from the conference and U.S. support for Israeli apartheid. All conference information is available at www.israelapartheidcon.org. Uh, Thomas Suarez is best known for his 2016 book, State of Terror, How Terrorism Created Modern Israel, uh, described by Ilan Pape as, quote, the first comprehensive and structured analysis of the violence and terror employed by the Zionist movement, and later the state of Israel against the people of Palestine. And it really is an amazing book, and I encourage anyone who's interested to pick that up. Um, Thomas Suarez's more recent book is Writings on the Wall, which is an annotated collection of Palestinian oral histories. He's the author as well of three highly regarded books on the history of cartography, and also a Juilliard-trained violinist who has performed around the world. Uh, he's a former faculty member of Palestine's conserv- National Conservatory of Music. Um, so he'll be analyzing uh, the recent Jerusalem Declaration on Anti-Semitism and why the adoption of guidelines such as this JDA and International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance, etc., working definition of anti-Semitism, why this is so important uh, to pro-Israel factions and many other details. So thank you very much, Thomas. Thank you, Grant. And uh, my great thanks to the Washington Report for Middle East Affairs and everyone who made this event possible why the first question is why is the definition of anti-Semitism relevant to the question of ending U.S. support for Israeli apartheid, or as I would put it, for apartheid Israel? Since apartheid is in the nature of the state itself, it's not an an external aspect of it that can be switched off. Well, the definition of anti-Semitism is key because the principal weapon being used to squelch any honest reckoning is the word anti-Semitism. And so even before turning to the New Jerusalem Declaration on Anti-Semitism, we need to ask why the definition of bigotry against Jews, unlike bigotry against the rest of humanity, came to be a contested issue needing its own elaborate definitions. On the face of it, the the very idea would itself seem to be anti-Semitic, playing into the libel of Jewish exceptionalism. So before we go any further, who or what is keeping the medieval idea of Jews as a race apart, not only alive, but official U.S. policy? To me, the answer is obvious and indeed reflected in the uh, the JDA at issue. The Israeli state promotes and depends on Jewish separatism, in part because the use of the smear to block debate requires it. And so I think the JDA can only be understood by starting from the beginning. When in the late 19th century, the idea of a so-called Jewish state was being championed, only one true site for this state was possible, Palestine. Other locations were considered, but as, as Herzl made clear, they were only considered as stepping stones to Palestine if Palestine could not be gotten at first. It had to be Palestine because the Zionist project needed a massive influx of Jewish settlers, and Herzl believed that this would be impossible without the magic of the word 
Palestine, the, the land of the Bible. Continuing on through the decades leading up to 1948, Zionism's appeal and exploits continued to be couched in the language of Messianism. As one example, Ben-Gurion, at a secret meeting in 1941 in London, he was blunt. Without a biblical name for their proposed state, he said, they would never attract enough Jewish settlers. And so, he said, it had to be called either Israel or Judea. The, the Messianic ploy continues today and reinforces Israel's impunity. After all, it's one thing to criticize a country, but quite another to make accusations against the land in the Bible that seems to be a, a product of Genesis itself. And as loony as it sounds to make a connection between the Israeli state that self-declared itself in 1948 and the realm of the Old Testament, it touches the Western collective subconscious and secures the fervent support among uh, Christian Zionists. But even this messianic advertising gimmick did not at first elicit the enthusiasm Zionists needed. Their project indeed was widely seen as an affront to Jewish identity. Uh, And I think this is best reflected. I'd like to read from 1897, still 20 years before Balfour, the London Standard, in my mind, summed up the situation perfectly. I, I will read it. Zionism finds little favor in Germany except among the anti-Semites. In short, the degeneration, which calls itself anti-Semitism, has begotten the degeneration, which adorns itself with the name of Zionism. Uh, end of quote. But the messianic angle was exploited to depict Jews worldwide as a single monolithic tribe and Zionism, its high priest, inseparable from Jewish identity itself. During the years of the British mandate, Zionist intimidation against Jews to secure compliance with this idea, with this abuse, was so extreme that most victims of Zionist assassination, that is, a targeted killing rather than just the victims of its indiscriminate carnage were not British, were not Palestinians, but were Jews who were vocally unsympathetic to Zionism. Families were ostracized if they did not submit. Students were blocked from advancement if they did not submit. And on and on, leading to where we are today. By by consolidating its claimed ownership of Jewish identity, Israel spins criticism of it, the state, as hatred of Jews, since, according to this construct, they're one and the same. This is why the simple matter of what is anti-Jewish racism turns into a lengthy document invoking the Israeli state, as the JDA unfortunately does. For decades, Israel's apologists wage this weapon on Israel's behalf, intimidating, smearing, and silencing critics with the the smear of anti-Semitism. But as the years passed, cracks developed in Israel's narrative of a benevolent nation defending itself. It it largely contained a public relations debacle after the the so-called cast-led massacres against Gaza, uh, 2008-2009, but found itself dealing with unprecedented grassroots outrage following its even more horrific Protective Edge massacres in the summer of 2014. And so in the wake of this post-Protective Edge slip in control over its narrative, 
Israel responded with a two-pronged strategy. One was IHRA, the, uh, the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance definition, to which the JDA is a response. The purpose, the very purpose of IHRA was to give perceived legal endorsement to Israel's use of Jewish identity as a human shield to empower its crimes. And its use of the word Holocaust in its title, exploiting the memory of Hitler's victims to empower new ethnic crimes, made it all the more obscene. IRA lifted Israel's use of the anti-Semitism smear from the uncertainties of allegation or opinion and raised it to the level of perceived dispassionate fact. The anti-Semitism tactic was no longer just street warfare. It was now official policy among many of Israel's benefactors, principally in the EU, the UK, and of course, the United States. This weapon has caused great damage even among governments and institutions who have not formally adopted it, but nonetheless find themselves judged by it and threatened by it. And two, in the wake of Protective Edge, new organizations were established to wield IHRA under the veneer of fighting anti-Semitism. Foremost among these is the so-called Campaign Against Anti-Semitism, the CAA, which as a result of its Orwellian name, its status as a registered UK charity, and further held by a special waiver, allowing it to keep secret who is behind it despite charity status, has had a great deal of influence in wielding lies of anti-Semitism on Israel's behalf. And unfortunately, the CAA has been further popularized by many well-meaning people unaware of what the organization actually is. And this brings us to the Jerusalem Declaration on Anti-Semitism, which arose in response to the chaos and destruction caused by IHRA. Now, unlike IHRA, the JDA does contain an actual definition of, of anti-Semitism. I will read it. I quote from the JDA. Anti-Semitism is discrimination, prejudice, hostility or violence against Jews as Jews or Jewish institutions as Jewish. Yes, now even this is longer than it really needs to be, but it's fine. But the problem is that this definition is qualified by a preface and a set of guidelines which preserve the fundamental abuses of the IHRA, still framing bigotry against Jews in context of the Israeli state and the so-called conflict and still defining the terms under which Israel's crimes may be challenged. Now, to be sure, it is not only a vastly, vastly better document than IHRA. It is also, unlike IHRA, a document which, which I think was composed in good faith. But it was composed in good faith within the confines of a particular mindset. The JDA discusses hostility to Israel, which it says might be anti-Semitic animus. Okay, already we have accepted that there is some intrinsic link between Jews as Jews and the apartheid state of Israel. Okay, but if we are going to have this linkage, the JDA makes a dangerous inversion. It implicitly insulates the very people we should all fear, white supremacists, apologists, uh, like Donald Trump, or neo-fascists like uh, Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban, and, and it is telling that Israel is fast buddies with such people. 
True anti-Semites, people who harbor hatred of Jews as Jews, are far more likely to be wholly supportive of the Israeli state. White supremacists and fascists love Israel because of their bigotry. Another clause addresses a possible reason for Palestinian, quote, hostility to Israel. This hostility, quote, could be the emotion that a Palestinian person feels on account of their experience at the hands of the state. Now, this is the only use of the word emotion in the entire document, yet it is used to explain the reaction of the very people who have the most fact-based, lived experience over seven and a half decades for entirely rational hostility to the state. Unfortunately, this invites Israel's supporters to explain away Palestinian opposition to their shackles as emotion, reinforcing existing racist stereotypes in the West. Another guideline addresses anti-Semitism hiding in coded speech. And here again, Israel is the topic. Grossly exaggerating its, Israel's, Actual influence can be a coded way of racializing and stigmatizing Jews. Now, hold on here. Alleging influence of the Israeli state, right or wrong, has nothing to do with anti-Semitism unless it is said to be synonymous with the Jews as a people. And ironically, who claims to speak for all Jews as Jews? It's the very basis of the Israeli state. The, The JDA states that Evidence-based criticism of Israel as a state is not, on the face of it, anti-Semitic. Okay, in other words, evidence-based criticism of Israel still might be anti-Semitic. But more to the point, whether the criticism is by some undefined criteria evidence-based is irrelevant to the topic of anti-Semitism. All that matters is whether the criticism or, more likely, the accolades, stem from prejudice against Jews as Jews, and those who engage in such anti-Semitism are merely taking Israel and Zionism at its word. But the ultimate internal contradiction of the document is found in the final clause among what it calls examples that on the face of it are anti-Semitic. And it is all the more problematic because it is written in a way to sound like a good thing to a public winged on the Zionist narrative. I will read it. It reads thus. Denying the right of Jews in the state of Israel to exist and flourish collectively and individually as Jews in accordance with the principle of equality. Now, on the face of it, this reads as a self-evident truth. But what does it mean? First, it implicitly means that in order not to be anti-Semitic, we must accept the existence of the Israeli state, a state that still refuses to define what it is and where it is. Now, personally, I don't think any state has the intrinsic natural right to exist. People have the right to exist, and states are social structures that exist at the pleasure of those it serves. Does Israel exist at the pleasure of the majority of the people whose lives it controls? Obviously not. And so it is all the more confusing that the clause then says, with the principle of equality. But we have to assume that everybody is supposed to be equal and not just Jews. If everybody is finally equal after 70, what, 73 years, 
then by definition, Israel will treat the people it ethnically cleansed from the land equally with all the people who had no link whatsoever with the land, but were ethnically correct settlers. Israel created itself by importing Jews, Jews alone as settlers to create an ethnically pure state replaced in the indigenous people. And so the the principle of equality would be would be a far straight out of Orwell's Animal Farm unless Israel stopped blocking millions of Palestinians in Gaza, in the West Bank, in the camps and surrounding countries and beyond from returning home. Now suddenly equal, they would return to their own homes on their own land, but find them occupied by, as the, as the JDA puts it, Jews in the state of Israel. This is a conundrum of Israel's making and Israel's alone. In fact, the principle of equality would return millions of Palestinian businesses, orchids, assets, factories, and industries stolen by the Israeli state and its settlers to their rightful owners. And to be sure, without that wholesale theft of a ready-made country, the new state would doubtfully have ever existed. In short, the, the principle of equality would mean that there was never an Israeli state. All along, the JDA presumes a, a, a dangerous falsehood that Israel wants an end to anti-Semitism. No, no, let's step back and not be forced to view the world on Israel's terms. The Zionist ideology and the Israeli state are addicted to anti-Semitism, whether real or invented through fraudulent definitions. And what kind of anti-Semitism does Israel focus on? It rails on about its invented anti-Semitism of the progressive left, because the true progressive left is anti-racist and thus against Israel's racism. Actual anti-Jewish racism is not Israel's focus because it is pro-Israel. And the JDA is informed by Israel's upside-down anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism as a permanent state of humanity is what gives Zionism and Israel meaning. And the never-ending fear it generates helps keep the cult obedient. Related to this, there is one final and I think very important, yet to my knowledge, overlooked reason for all the to do over the definition of anti-Semitism. I see these deliberations and the JDA as in part an attempt, even an unconscious attempt, to come to grips with the psychosis that I believe Zionism created and Israel nurtures. As we've seen, Israel, in order to cast criticism of it as anti-Semitic, and in order to cast anti-Zionist Jews as heretics and traitors, presents itself as identical with Jews as Jews. This remains Israel's primary military weapon. But Zionism's great Achilles heel, which I personally believe will be its ultimate downfall, is that inescapably, according to this equation, Jews, by sheer virtue of being Jews, and as an ethnicity, are the doers of Israel's crimes. Yet the pressure to remain in the cult is enormous. We often hear the libel of the, of the self-hating Jew intended to prevent dissent. But this began right with Herzl, whose, whose condemnation of traditional non-Zionist Jews sounds straight out of the worst Nazi propaganda, and I am not exaggerating. Now, regular decent people who like to think of themselves as fair-minded and certainly moral would not want to think that they are party to ongoing crimes against humanity. 
uh, and as an aside, when the U.S. invasion against Vietnam was ongoing, I, along with millions of other U.S. citizens, we felt no organic connection to our country's crimes and instead felt a responsibility to do what we could to stop it. Now, the government may have called us traitors, but traitors to what? To, to something diametrically opposed to our self-identity. It was a compliment. Our self-identity had no connection with what any particular nation state did. But what about people who were raised to believe, or I would say brainwashed to believe, that Zionism and the Israeli state are integral to who they are, part of the DNA, not an option? This is no sweat for criminals, but for regular people, it's a nightmare, complete cognitive dissonance. They must somehow square on one hand, wanting to believe that they are fair-minded people, while at the same time believing that their non-negotiable self-identity requires that they support massacres, apartheid, and ongoing ethnic cleansing. And if you read accounts of people freeing themselves of Zionism, it is truly the ordeal of leaving, leaving a cult. I see the JDA as, in part, an attempt to make sense of the contradictions of Zionist self-identity versus personal morality. If I am correct, it is, an, it is important to understand that this is a powerful, invisible component of why the definition of anti-Semitism gets garbled with Israel and Zionism. In short, intertwining the two numbs the pain of the dissonance with convoluted complications that seem to externalize the moral reality. I thought it was revealing that in a video on the JDA website, the moderator states that, quote, um, we can't forget how complex anti-Semitism is. It's a shapeshifter. It keeps changing. Now, now how to explain this? Systematic discrimination against Jews is happily long gone in the United States and many other parts of the world. Jews are not at risk of garden, dis, uh, garden variety discrimination here in the United States or in Britain, but they are at risk of deadly violence. And by the same forces that Arabs and other people per perceived as others, and ultimately all of us are at risk from, white supremacists, the radical right, and neo-fascism. And it is a constant phenomenon, not a shapeshifter. So how to explain the fog over what constitutes hatred of Jews, making it intangible, elusive, and always intertwined with limits of what may be said about a non sequitur, the Israeli state, except to keep forever at a distance the reckoning of admitting to oneself the moral quandary of Zionism. Um, to finish up... It, in my opinion, although the JDA is obviously far better than IHRA, its vague, contradictory, and convoluted preface and guidelines prevented from being a vehicle to free us from the cynical abuse of anti-Semitism by Israel, its supporters, and the various anti-progressive forces that couldn't care less about Israel, but for whom the anti-Semitism smear is an effective, handy weapon. Thank you.